this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Josh Allen. Josh is the owner of Companion Baking Company, which serves up hot breakfast, pastries, soups, salads, and sandwiches, all on their award-winning bread at their cafes and catering business. Hi, Josh. Good morning. How are you? I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you for having me. Well, first, I want you to tell me, how long has Companion been here? I mean, I was surprised. We uh, opened in 1993. So this is our 20, what is that, our 28th year that we're into right now. And I don't know, it feels like you've been here forever, but I guess I just didn't even realize that it's been that long forever. at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It has been forever. So yeah, I mean, we we opened right um, right as Bread Company, St. Louis Bread Company was kind of phasing itself out of the wholesale business. They had kind of tried to figure out what their path was in the late 80s and early 90s, and they had made the decision to, to, to go full bore retail. And at the same time, we were opening our wholesale business. So the timing was good. And and the world was getting ready to go into a heavy carb phase that it went into in the <laughs> mid nineties. And, uh, and it was, yeah, the timing worked out really well. And St. Louis was really a wonderful community in which to open. So why bread? What, what made you say, I'm just going to be all about the bread. You know, I, I grew up in the food business. So my family had a company called Allen Foods, which was okay. a broadline institutional distributor. And, and when they sold the business in 2002, they were a hundred years old. So it was a multi-generational family business that I had grown up in, had worked as a kid, swept out the freezer, swept out trucks, um, cleaned the warehouse, made deliveries in a van during high school, and and always really enjoyed the food business, enjoyed the kind of the characters and the people that you got to meet. Um, didn't necessarily want to go into the distribution side of it, but but always gravitated towards food. And when I was in college, I was racing my bicycle and and racing some triathlons. And so it made sense to get a job at night so I could do that stuff during the day. And I started in a couple of restaurants and then ended up meeting a couple of folks that were working in bakeries and, and got a job in Whole Foods in Palo Alto, California, which I think if my memory serves me correctly, was number three or number five on the Whole Foods list. It was very okay. early when they were still just opening in college towns across the country and just fell in love with baking bread. We would show up at three o'clock in the morning and worked in the basement and, and there was nobody else down there, but those of us making bread essentially. And, and I think you either go running and screaming a couple days into it, or, or you really <laughs> fall in love with it. And, and for some reason, I really fell in love with it. So ended up working in a couple of different little shops throughout the Bay Area. Um, ended up getting a job working for the Oakville Grocery Company, which at the time, just had a, a store in, or had a couple stores. They had one in, in Oakville, California, which is right near Napa. That was their original store. Um, and then they had one in the Stanford Shopping Center. And I was working in there kind of doing a research project for them on bread and should they open a bakery to support their growth. They were planning to open 10 or 14 stores in the Bay Area. So I spent about a year there kind of helping them with this project. And in the end, they decided that it didn't make sense to open a bakery. It was too disparately located geographically. They couldn't have had one shop service all the stores they were trying to do. And so they decided not to move forward with the project. And at that time, I didn't have anything to do. And the guy said, you know, you should just, you know, go home and open a bakery. So seemed like it made sense to me. And I moved back to St. Louis and and leased some space for my family in, in South St. Louis. and and open the bakery. Wow. And so not only, I mean, obviously, yes, you know how to make bread, but you also 
know the business of bread? Yeah, I mean, it's been an incredible learning process. And uh, I, you know, we started, we knew how to make, I knew how to make about six things. I mean, I didn't know enough about what to do. Had a very small list of, of wholesale items that, that we presented and made available. And, and there were a couple of folks who very early on adopted us and, and helped us be successful. Bill Cardwell um, was a chef who was, not only was he super supportive and had been had been a great customer of my family's and and became a great customer of ours, but he helped introduce me to folks and really gave us credibility by by Bill having us on the table and and using us in his restaurant. It, it was a story that we could tell to other folks that you know if if it made sense for Bill, it made sense for some other people. And Very cool. My, you know, my grandfather told me early on. He said, "Shut up and let your customers tell you how to grow your business." And <laughs> and so I just listened and and we started with those six things. And then as you know, Bill would say, "Hey, I need hamburger buns for lunch," and so we would you know collaboratively figure out how to make a bun for him. And then. The Ritz Carlton said, hey, we love your sourdough bread for the grill, but we need banquet rolls for all of our banquets and our catering events. Can you do banquet rolls? And so we figured that out. And then we grew into we grew into pastry and we grew into all kinds of different things. And it was all really from from listening and, and letting our customers help us grow. I love that thought, though. That is a very good business plan. Let your customers tell you what they want. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think certainly and in, in, I think times are changing where the customer is always right. But uh, well, right. certainly, <laughs> it, you know, the, the customer knows what they want. And in the end, our job and we've really evolved into and I'm sure we'll talk about it more later. You know, what, what we're doing now more is is custom curated programs, private label items, exclusive products. We really enjoy the collaborative process. And we want to help our customers tell their story on the plate. We recognize it's not our story to tell in their restaurant or in their hotel, um, that it's their story to tell. And we want to be a part of that. And sometimes it's through something special. Sometimes it's through an item that's kind of in our general stock list. Um, but we really enjoy that process of working with them so that they can they can do more of what they love to do. And so that collaborative nature really started with it from the beginning and and certainly continues today. Well, talk about it. What 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 is this new adventure you're on? Well, we you know we've we've evolved the business. So, what, as I mentioned, we started completely wholesale um, in '93, went into grocery stores in in '95 and '96, um, and then in 2001 we opened a small cafe, which was something new for us. But we really we had always done farmers markets and chefs events and charitable endeavors and always enjoyed meeting the consumer and the folks that were actually eating our product. But in the wholesale business, you don't necessarily get to talk to them very much. And so we opened the cafe in Clayton 2001 um, and and have been in that business since then. but as our business has sort of evolved and, and, and you know that St. Louis isn't, you know, it's not a bustling metropolis and it's not growing. And, and we have a wonderful group of people that work for us. And if, if we want to give them a chance to grow personally and professionally, we have to keep growing our business and we have to keep evolving. And so really about, about 10 years ago, we started kind of gravitating towards uh, frozen product because by freezing our product, it allows us to expand our distribution network so we can go to Columbia, Missouri or Kansas City or, or outside of, you know, outside of the St. Louis area where we can deliver fresh daily. And that part of our business just continued to grow. And, and as we kind of continued to listen, right, and, and that's sort of what we do is we listen to the opportunities that present themselves. I got a call one day from, from a woman who was the bakery coordinator for a grocery store that had just opened in Columbia, Missouri. It was like their third store. They were out of Colorado. And she said, hey, we're having trouble with our supply chain. 
we need bread tomorrow. Can you help us? And and sort of what we've always done is said yes and then figured out later if it was a good decision or not. We went ahead and said yes and we <laughs> shipped bread down to Columbia and, and kind of took care of them for a few weeks. And then we went down to see them and had more and more conversations with them and, and evolved into them saying, look, we're getting ready to grow this business and we'd love to take your product frozen and take it across the country with us as, as we grow. And, wow. and that was that was Lucky's Grocery Store, which unfortunately they went, they went out of business right before the pandemic last year, but they had grown to 35 stores. And you know, we were in Florida with our product and different parts of the Midwest and Colorado and, and Montana. And it was just, it was, a, it was a neat opportunity for us to grow our company um, and give us a chance to expand the business. And, and as part of that evolution, we moved from South City where we had been for 22 years out to Maryland Heights and built a new facility and really invested in the growth of, of the business kind of going frozen. And that's really where we are today. Essentially, you know, 90, 95% of our business now is, is frozen distribution. Really, even throughout St. Louis, a lot of our fresh customers, we converted to frozen because as they needed to increase their minimums to their distributor or as their business kind of evolved and changed as well, um, we converted some fresh business to frozen and then outside the area. And we continue, our sweet spot is sort of the Rocky Mountains to the Appalachian Mountains. Um, okay. Once we get too far east or too far west, it just gets kind of cost prohibitive to ship product. But really within that within that region, we're, that's where we're continuing to grow. And, and our growth is coming from these kind of collaborative relationships. So so it's somebody has a deli with 30 stores and they want a very specific product and or they have an Italian restaurant and they want a certain bread for the table. And so we really enjoy that. The collaborative nature of what we do has always been kind of who we are, as I mentioned. And so that's really the, the niche that we're finding um, as we move forward. Has anyone ever come to you with uh, an idea and you and and you've gone, oh goodness. <laughs> like, I don't know about this one. Have you ever any like very interesting? Well, there's some things that we just, we can't make that we don't have the capabilities to do. Um, you know, some concepts I don't, I don't always think make a tremendous, tr- tremendous amount of sense. Sometimes okay. that, you know, we, I think certainly in 28 years, you start to get cynical and you start to see enough <laughs> folks who, who try something and it doesn't work. And, and maybe you think, boy, this is, you know, you hate to prejudge a concept or an idea, but you know, right. sometimes you look at something and you go, "Wow, that's a." I, Let's I just don't not do this. <laughs> I don't think that's going to work, or I don't think we want to put our energy towards towards that. But um, no, I mean, I, I we really love the fact that somebody would seek us out. I mean, obviously, that means we're doing something right, and and so we'll always engage in the conversation. And and like I said, we generally don't say no until after we've said yes a few times, just to just to certainly try to play it out and see if it makes sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. So one of the things that really um, intrigued me when I talked to you, I, I talked to you before and you were talking about what Companion has done to reduce the amount of waste. I mean, this has been a big deal. You went from, I, I believe, was it a million and a half tons to a half per year? A million and a half pounds. Down okay. to, yeah, down to, we're getting close to 500,000 pounds of, of, of waste. And really it kind of grew out of the problem that most small, no, I shouldn't say most, many small businesses have, and, and we certainly did when we moved our business, you know, as you start to scale up and you start to bring new people into the mix and you start to have to pay attention to things that you didn't have to pay attention to before, things start to fall through the cracks and what we started to recognize. So we moved into the building in December of, of 2015, our new factory. Um, and, you know, as the business was still growing and still shipping more cases and, and inviting on new customers, we just sort of lost control of um, 
the overall manufacturing process, I guess. So we were we were focused on quality because obviously that's everything for our customers, quality and consistency. So we we held on to that. But as a function of that, we started to generate more waste. So and waste for us is, you know, maybe dough that was mixed incorrectly that had to be thrown away, bread that was baked incorrectly that didn't work. Our equipment in a lot of instances when you're trying to create uniform pieces um, creates trim or, you know, pieces of dough that might fall off of the production line um, to kind of trim off so that you can keep some uniformity in the pieces that stay on the production line. And we, you know, and, and when you're small, a couple percentage points of trim or a couple percentage points of waste really isn't a big deal. When you're making 300 pounds or a thousand pounds of bread a day, two or 3% waste, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a big deal, but it isn't a huge deal. When you're making 30,000 pounds a day, all of a sudden 3% waste is a huge deal. And, and when it became 7%, when it became 12%, it was an even a bigger deal. And we hadn't really paid a lot of attention to it in South City and the other facility. We were in a shared space that my family owned. And then when they sold the business, um, we continued to lease there for another 10 years and or actually 12 years and stayed. And we just paid a flat rate for our dumpster. Here's 1200 bucks a month. That's our trash fee. And we didn't know much more about it. We didn't really pay attention to what went in it, how, how much went in it, how often they picked up. And when we moved into our new facility, we got a bill every month and it said, you know, here's your bill. Here's we picked up six times and we picked up 22 tons of trash. And it was kind of interesting, like, wow, that's an interesting number. I'm not going to be sure what to do with that. We sort of set it aside and, and kind of paid attention. It didn't really pay attention to it because I didn't have any context against which to um, to measure it against. But as we continue to not perform financially the way that we anticipated, you know, 18 or 24 months into the move, I pulled all those bills out and I said, um, let me put this together and see what it is. I've always enjoyed tracking things and charting things and trying to communicate with our staff through through pictures and and through kind of simple analysis and um, I you know I tracked it and you know our trailing twelve months or our trailing fifty two week trash number was one point six million pounds of trash and I was more than anything I think I was embarrassed and I didn't know again I didn't have a context to know if I was doing the same thing in South City before or not all right, I knew was right. we're not a big enough company. You know, I've got five kids that are where they go to a small school and they talk about recycling and we talk about the environment and sustainability. And, and it's a it's something that it's on the tip of our tongue all the time. And yet we were creating this unbelievable amount of landfill. And so kind of in combination of one needing to fix the financial challenges that we're, we're facing in the move and also this embarrassment. I just sort of, we just sort of said, okay, look, let's fix this number. Let's all just focus on this number. Maybe, maybe we can make some inroads against all of this stuff. And I don't, it, maybe it was something intuitive. I'm not sure. I didn't necessarily have a way to relate what the savings would be or what the impact would be. I just knew I wanted to fix it. And so we've spent really the last 24, almost 30 months now focused on that number and, and knock on wood, our trailing 12 month trash number has gone down 30 months in a row. And um, and we look at another thing, which is the inverse, which is what I call the trash efficiency score, which is essentially sales dollars divided by pound of trash. So how many sales dollars are we generating per pound of trash that we're creating? And that number's gone up because you always want to have charts that go up, right? You don't want right, to only look right, at charts right, right. that go yeah, down. Right. So you got to look at both of them. And that number has gone from like $5.50 in sales per pound up to you know, we've had a couple months above 18, but the trailing 12 months number is almost $13. So almost triple in terms of our trash efficiency. And, and 
I think I mentioned to you the other day, you know, what's been the, the, the pandemic has been a challenge for everybody in the industry. It's certainly been a challenge for us. There haven't always been great uh, stories to tell internally. There always hasn't been great news to share with our team, but it has been really, um, it's been great to be able to stop production once a month and say, okay, we got our trash numbers in and we're still, not only are we creating less trash, which I guess we should because our revenue's down, but our trash efficiency number continues to go up. So from the standpoint of trash generated per dollar of sales, we're also doing better. And we've done that through the whole pandemic. And that's been just something that we're incredibly prideful about. Um, and also it's important because on the other side of this pandemic, whenever we can find, you know, kind of clear sailing or what we hope to find clear sailing moving forward, at least in our industry, we've got to make sure that we have an efficient shop that can that can do it moving forward. And so we have found that that kind of one number has been incredibly powerful from, from that perspective. That's so amazing and good Good job, guys. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I love that you you were looking at it and going, it's kind of embarrassing. Let's figure this out. And then it would help everything, right? And, and we didn't know that it would help everything. As I, I, I didn't really know what the impact would be. One of the things that I've always wanted to have was kind of one number that um, I, I think I read somewhere, you know, if you're stuck in a prison somewhere, you're on a deserted island and you could only have one number sent to you a month by your business, what number would that be that could potentially tell you the performance? And revenue is not obviously the number that necessarily does it for you. And profitability isn't necessarily the number on a monthly basis that does it. But if you told me what our sales efficiency or trash efficiency score was on a monthly basis, I could pretty much tell you how we're doing because awesome. it, it speaks to rework. It speaks to, to labor efficiency. It speaks to ingredients and, and material cost. It speaks to really the emotional uh, the emotional aspect has been really powerful as well. I think we talked about that uh, uh, last week is that, you know, when we're making a, when we're, we're craft bakers, that's how we like to look at ourselves and our people take great pride and passion in what we do every day. And when you make something from scratch and have to throw it away, whether it's a bad mix or a bad bake or something, there is an emotional toll that that takes. Uh, and our, and our folks have to walk it out to the dumpster, right? Like we actually take the trash out oh, and, oh, yeah. and to not have to do that, you know, the equivalent of a million pounds a year has been has been pretty valuable and it makes people feel much better about what they're doing on a daily basis. So you get the benefit, you get a financial bump, you get an emotional bump and we got an environmental bump all in this one number kind of paying attention to it. And That's that was certainly awesome. by happenstance. And it's yeah, it's been terrific. So and and for you, I, I know that culture is super important at Companion. That, I mean, you put that at the forefront. You actually have a have a person that that's what they're all about is making sure that the culture of companion is amazing and the people are passionate and they want to be there. Talk to that a little bit. Well, I, look, I, I, it also grew out of the same challenges as as we grew, and and I will say that that we really struggled in the first handful of years as we moved into the new facility, you know, part of generating all that waste meant that we weren't doing a great job managing our production, right? We weren't paying enough attention, whether that was to our people or to our process or to, to whatever that was. And so, you know, we would, you know, I think at the end of two years there, we had hired 150 people and the net gain was like 10 people. I mean, we had just, we had just churned through a ton of people. So retention was 
I mean, it's notoriously not great in the industry, but it wasn't, it's not that bad. And, and a big piece of that was, was just us being wasteful in sort of our whole approach. And so we recognize that at the same time that we need to attack the waste piece, we also need to attack the cultural piece. What can we do to celebrate those that have been with us longer? What can we do to, to, to focus on new hires and, and new training and make it an environment that folks want to come into and be a part of? And, and it's still ongoing. I mean, I, we are certainly by no means um, where we need to be with that, but we do have a woman, Nancy Brunig, who is our cultural you know, development manager or, you know, our, our chief companion as it relates to that. And that's how she spends her day. So she has one-on-one -on -one connects with almost everybody in the company on a monthly basis. And she walks the floor and she checks in with folks and, you know, she's, she's abdicating for and cheering for and, and kind of making sure that we're always paying attention to the people because in the end it's our companions, as we refer to them, that, that are going to make us successful and help us be successful and, and, if we, for whatever reason, don't retain those folks, not only is it expensive and, and but it's just, it's wasteful. It kind of goes back right. to that whole idea of eliminating waste. Like if we spend three months training someone and they don't stick or two weeks training and, and they don't make it or they don't feel comfortable or they don't feel appreciated or valued and we lose that person, it's it's been an incredibly wasteful process. So so having somebody in the organization whose sole focus is that, and she was our production manager and was so good with people that we moved her into that role. So she completely understands what we do on a daily basis. And, and right. you know, there's sort of no BS that people can can throw her about, you know, it's this is this hard or it's not working because of this, or we treat this person this way because of that. Like none of that stuff really flies with Nancy because the fact is that she knows how the how the organization works, and so it makes it, uh, it 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 makes it for an incredibly valuable position, and and you know we we're we're focused on it. We have what we call the four C's that we're focused on, which is our companions, our customers, our company, and our community. And obviously, our companions are first in that list, and and we try to throw every decision that we make against that backdrop, you know, or against that backboard, you know, how are the, how is it going to treat the four C's this decision? And, and obviously we need to make sure that things that we do aren't going to negatively impact any of the four C's. And we want to make sure that they can positively impact as many of them as we can. Well, I have to tell you, I was so excited. I got to meet Nancy. I was really excited when uh, I had gone to lunch um, at your cafe with Heidi Glaus, who was um, a co-host with me at a TEDx women's event. And then Teresa Carrington, who was a past speaker of ours, but also a speaker facilitator. And um, Teresa owns 10 by three. And we all went to lunch there together. And it was so fun when Nancy came up and said, I just took a bunch of women to your TEDx women's event. And she was telling me all about what she did at Companion with the whole culture thing. And I was like, this is awesome. It's so fun because you, you don't know sometimes what, you know, you you do these big events and you don't know how it impacts everyone. And it was just an amazing experience to get to talk to her and for her to tell us every, you know, everything that they had experienced. So thank you for that. Oh, no. I mean, the majority of our leadership team is 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 women. And, and we took, I think they had 12 or 13 that yeah, went to the event that day. And, and yes. yeah, it was terrific. So I have some fun questions for you. Okay. You ready? Okay, <laughs> Are you ready? Um, do you remember the first loaf of bread that you made or what did you make? What was the very first one? Do you remember? Well, the first, I mean, I, my fondest memory is stealing my sister's easy bake oven when, when I, I was mean, six or seven years old. So <laughs> Can't do I think much it was baking, it was baking do? brownies by light bulb. 
that yes. I think really, really changed it for me. And, and my mom was an avid cook and baker at home. And obviously in my family, my dad being in the food business was always bringing different products home to say like, here's seven different French fries. We're going to make all these French fries and see which one we like best. And so, you know, food was a big part of, of what we did. And my dad worked a tremendous amount. And so when we, we, when we all sat down to dinner together, you know, it's 630 at night, every night I can, I can remember all of us sitting down to dinner and kind of going through, sometimes it was trying those things out. And, and I remember on vacation, we would always go check out grocery stores. That was always a big thing. He wanted to see what products oh, were out there. And cool. what things were happening. So we would go visit grocery stores when we were in Florida or in Colorado or, or somewhere on vacation. And, and uh, I mean, I don't, I think my first, I did get a, a bread machine when I, when I went to college and I remember making some bread in that and really enjoying that. Um, and then when I got the job at Whole Foods and, and got to really make a lot of stuff, I just really fell in love with it. I mean, the idea that you started with essentially nothing or flour, water, and salt, and there were these racks and racks and racks of product at the end of your shift before you went home. And, and it was a really wonderful feeling to, to produce that um, on a daily basis. Very cool. You, did you hurt yourself on your, I hurt myself on my easy bake oven back when we used to give kids <laughs> toys to play with that were very dangerous. I mean, we, you know, we had jarts, we had <laughs> click clacks, we had all terrible things that we would hurt ourselves with, but I remember burning myself on mine. So you probably I don't know didn't. that I, I'm sure that I did because I agree with you. They were. No, you probably didn't. You went into the restaurant <laughs> business, which was right for it's like, Miss, you Well, we all burn ourselves in the restaurant up. business. So that doesn't change. <laughs> oh, that's true. That probably happens more often than right. we would like. All right. So, has a celebrity ever visited any of the cafe or have you guys ever had that experience? Um, we baked bread for, for Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead a few times when they came really? to. Um, when they came to, was I guess it was Riverport then maybe yeah. because uh, uh, Jim Voss, who was the chef at Duff's for many, many, many years in the Central West End was one of our good customers. And Jim also uh, cooked for them in the Midwest when they were on tour. So we got to bake for them a couple of times, which was pretty cool. We also Very baked for the cool. Pope when he came to St. Louis, our bread was on the TWA flight that really? left when they and when they flew him back to Rome um, after he came to St. Louis, which was pretty neat. So, I mean, those were the two ones that I, we, we baked for a number of presidents because we would usually service Wash U for the debates when they used to come to Wash U to do the debates. And so um, we worked with Bon Appetit, or Marriott originally, and then Bon Appetit, and they would put those events on. So I think those were, we haven't had a lot of celebrities walk in the door, um, but we certainly... Uh, but for the catering, you've definitely, your bread's right. been, been in some mouths of some important people. That's awesome. Right. And my, I will say that my cousin is Andy Cohen and uh, my first cousin really? is Andy. And so Andy's a big fan and he always speaks, he's been, he's been tremendously supportive of the bakery and of everything. And so certainly having Andy as a, as a fan has helped as well. There you go. Very cool. So I have this question I ask everyone because um, kindness is my passion right now. I want to I want everyone to prioritize it. Um, obviously, with what you've done with Companion, there's been a lot of kindness as far as kindness to the environment, kindness to your people that work for you and, and, and all of your customers. But as of late, is there an act of kindness that you witnessed or received or gave? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been an avid cyclist for a long time and I, I still enjoy it as a, as a means to clearing my head and of maintaining relationships with folks outside of the bakery and, and just to, to stay fit and to stay active. And so, um, I've continued to use 
cycling as a means to raise money for two uh, two groups that are super important to me. One is Pedal the Cause locally, which is the is through Siteman, can you know, cancer research that stays right. in St. Louis. And we've had actually a number of women in the organization that have been afflicted with and have been battling some various cancers. And so in support of them, I have been, we've been involved as an organization and then myself personally for many, many, many years and, and have been proud to be a king of the mountains or whatever they call it, you know, a certain level of fundraiser on an annual basis. And then the other one is Chef Cycle, which is through No Kid Hungry, it's an organization of chefs across the country that ride their bikes in support of the No Kid Hungry organization. And, and we actually have a bread right now that we're selling across the country, raising money for No Kid Hungry in an, in an effort to try to, you know, alleviate and fight and end childhood hunger in this country, which is obviously a, a, a terrible thing that, that we're dealing with on, a, on an ongoing basis. And certainly in the pandemic, it's been even worse because so many opportunities have been through schools to feed kids right. and, and without schools, that's not happening. And so even though the chef's events aren't happening right now and, and the ride has been canceled two years in a row, the, the get together, um, we've been actively involved in that. So that's been those two things are super important to me and the organization. My sister, who's a co-owner of the business and runs our retail, has been on the on the advisory board at Cardinal Glennon, and she's done a tremendous amount for Cardinal Glennon. So those those three organizations mean a lot to us. And and it's funny that you say that because you know what I what I try to tell people is just show up and be nice. Like that that's all we're asking for in this in this yeah. day and age with all the battles that we've got inside and outside the business and and everything. Just show up, you know, be present and be nice. And if we can do those two things, all of us every day, we're we're gonna, we're gonna be fine. I don't you wish everybody would take that advice, right? I, yes, I and, do. and it's not that difficult to be nice. I think it's more difficult to be mean. It's so much easier to just be nice. Yeah, but it's hard, and I recognize the challenges folks face right now. And and but you just got to go into it with that with that attitude. Like I'm just gonna be nice. You'll feel yeah. better. <laughs> I love it. Well, Josh, thank you so much. So tell everybody where they can find out more about Companion Baking Company. Well, certainly online, right? I, I mean, in terms of the, the wholesale business and in terms of the cafes, we have two two cafes in St. Louis. We have one in Ladue that's actually, that's open now and has been open throughout the pandemic. Um, it's 95, oh wait, I'm sorry. It's 9781 Clayton Road, um, right uh, by 40 and uh, by Highway 40 in Clayton. And then we have one inside of our factory as well, but that's currently closed. We're hoping to be open at the end of the summer, sort of with back to school, we'd like to reopen that cafe. And then we're at companionbaking.com in terms of the, the wholesale business and our products available at, at, at most of the family-owned grocery stores throughout St. Louis. I always hesitate to name them because I never <laughs> name them in the right order, but uh, have good relationships with all of we the family-owned grocery stores in St. Louis and uh, a number of restaurants and and various places throughout the city. But the, the community has been terrific for us and we're, we're super proud to be a member of the, what we kind of call the micro vendor community, the micro roasters of coffee and bread and beer and, and the farmers and everybody that's kind of supporting the whole food industry in St. Louis. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I have enjoyed this talk greatly. And we have more to talk about that we will talk about offline. <laughs> okay. Well, it's great, to, it's great to see you again. And thanks so much for including me. Thank you, Josh. And everyone out there, you've been listening to Mishmash. Head on over to Facebook and check out 100th ME. That's 100THME. Join our group. We prioritize kindness. We're all about kindness. We all need more kindness. Thank you so much. 